I'm not uncomfortable being in a room full of white people because I grew up in Nebraska. The difference is when I walk into a room and I'm the only black person, I carry with me the energy and the comfort and the confidence of being the only black person in the room. Okay. In my mind's made up, this is only for a moment, a moment. This is only for, this is only for back to Mind Body Gym. We are so grateful to have a longtime friend and co-owner of Back Make Me Happy, Lita, on our podcast. She's an advocate for small businesses in our community and a leader of Black Out and Proud. In this conversation, she shares how she manages her mental health and how much being an entrepreneur impacts mental health and how you overcome and take time for self-care. Take a listen. Mind Body Gym. We got Letha, 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 Letha Pew. Uh, I know her from just uh, one being around town. I saw her and her family a long time ago in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, the kitchen is the spot where a lot of people would go on Taco Tuesdays. And it was always good to see different families. You know what I mean? Ones that look like myself and my mm-hmm. wife, and, and also to have a beautiful child. Letha, you know, not only are you my client, but you're my friend. I'm definitely inspired by what you do in the community and how you move. And I'd like for you just to tell us a little bit about, more about you and how you got started, but and where you at now. And we're just going to take it from there. All right. Well, first of all, good morning. I start my mornings out kind of busy. I got three babies here. We we trying to get raised up. And when I say babies at this point, I mean pets. We got a puppy and two kittens, and and then we have a 10-year-old that we're getting off to school in the morning. So this 10 o'clock kind of becomes my sit down at the computer and figure out what I'm going to do for the day. Um, so I appreciate being here with you, Rocky, as well. Um, Rocky, I think that the feeling is mutual between us. Um, there's a something I, I get from you as a friend. Um, a genuineness, I think that, you know, just really resonates in your energy. And yeah, I'm your client. We work out together, but that's also like a, sh- a surefire way that I get to see you like once or twice a week. So thank you. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> forward to our meetings. I look forward yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. I got to share. I got to share you now. It's a little tougher, but that's fine. <laughs> I think it made you step up that competition. You like, yeah. okay. <laughs> I got to put that work in. I got to put that work in. Tell us a little bit more about how you move in the community, like, you know, all the things that you're doing. 
especially being, you know, co-founding the Bake Me Happy with your wife, Wendy, and it's very successful and everybody knows about it. And it's, you know, before the pandemic, it was definitely a spot that people love to go and just chill and sit back and have some downtime with some good, good gluten-free, you know, goods. And coffee. And and coffee. Yeah. You know, it, it's been quite a journey. I have always been some type of entrepreneur. Uh, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I was born there and, uh, you know, I, I'm the oldest daughter of uh, a 15 year old mother. By the time she was 16, she had two daughters. And I think we all just kind of grew up together and I kind of would hustle to, you know, help around the household. And, you know, I didn't know, I didn't have a clear path when I went off to college. I just knew, I think this might be the best decision for me to make if I want to have a different life. And so I just kind of packed up my little my little car. You know, I used to have to put a stick in the hatchback to keep it open and I didn't have a door handle on the passenger side. And I, I went down to Lincoln and uh, just started, you know, taking classes and ended up in, in the nursing program. It was one black counselor Nebraska. Her name was Miss Ruby. She she brought me in. She said, what you going to do? What, what you going to do? And I was just kind of like, I don't know. And she said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, I like to help people. And she said, well, you, you I'm going to put you in this nursing track. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that all these little interactions have led up to today. And, uh, you know, I think nursing taught me, I had the gr- the grit and the grind and the hustle. Without the nursing piece of it, I would have been like a hedge fund person. You know what I mean? I think the nursing brought out the empathy and the love and the, the that part of, of me. That that was there, you know. Yeah. I just It nurtured it. The, it nurtured it, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I... I started out in computers and nursing, and uh, I started working for a home care agency just in the evenings to just keep myself busy and fell in love with taking care of like older Black people in their homes where they're comfortable, getting them together, getting their medications together. So I started a, a home care agency in 2008 and out the off the jump I was doing about two million dollars a year in business and um uh, still in Oklahoma no this is here in Columbus this okay. is here in Columbus. yeah okay. I came to Columbus in 2000 okay. okay and I was over at the med center at East okay all right and I and I was supposed to bring up OSU East on a new computer order entry system which is like nursing informatics and uh the project ended up falling through and and so that's when I kind of started keeping myself busy with home care and some other things and yeah and so in 2008 uh I started my own home care business and uh I had a couple business partners and that was my first you know be careful of who you go into business with Okay. Um, that was my first experience. Um, it wasn't that they weren't good guys. We just had different goals. 
and I wanted to grow the business and save the money. And they, you know, every chance they get, they, they got, they wanted to pull the money out. And so I, I have the type of personality where I want to, you know, I just try to ease out of situations. It doesn't always have to be a huge confrontation. And so I suggested we cash out. And they were all about that. So we all cashed out. And the guy that bought the business was out of Dayton. He asked me to stay on. So I continued to stay on there as administrator and uh, worked on my master's degree. And Paul's right here. Did you feel that difference from being an entrepreneur and an employee at that point? Did you feel? Oh, you know, it. It probably took me a year to work that out. When you when you start down the path to sell a business, uh, sell a business, and that was my first time. All everything that's happened to me in my life has been my first time. You know, okay, okay. Um, it's adrenaline. You know, who's gonna bite? Who am I gonna sit through? You know, work through all this due diligence. Them going through my books and things like that, and they continue to want to buy the business. It's a it's a really interesting experience. And once you sell it and you get this huge check, you're just like, I've never, at least for me, I was like, I've never held a check this large before. You know what I mean? Right. right. Yeah. I, I should probably do something with it. That is kind of where we got the first little push for make me happy. Okay. Yeah. You don't have to stay here. So you're starting a business mm-hmm. as well as now you've now transitioned to being an employee, an employee. or a person you used to be an entrepreneur in. So that's two different things. So talk about the transition from used to being, uh, used to being like, you know, heavy as an owner. Now I'm just an employee here mm-hmm. because I think that sometimes it's employees still should take ownership, but how do we, what's the line there? Oh, that that's a great question. You know, it's interesting because we probably between the, the new owner and myself probably didn't do a good job of setting a boundary. And I think he just leaned on me to continue to run it because he knew I had an emotional attachment. Yeah. And it is showing now because now that I've pulled away, everyone, he doesn't have a relationship with the staff. And so you have to build loyalty and connect with your staff, wherever they are, whoever they are. Um, I think that's been the key to me having people that, you know, worked at the home care agency with me till since 2009, still there. Wow. Wow. Okay. And people that make me happy that started with us in, you know, 2013 that are still there. I have tried to emphasize to the staff and to him that the loyalty should be to the company. Yes. You know, you should start a company that 
people believe in the mission, they believe in the vision, and they want to be there for that reason, not for a person. Right. And, you know, you know I think that people don't recognize that your first stakeholders are the people that you're in actually intimate, like your employees, your staff, your people are your, they are your stakeholders. Yeah, because without them, you can't do it all. Right. Right. And so it's really interesting, especially in the restaurant industry right now. They, I think they're realizing that like, whoa, you know, we probably should have treated our employees better. Mm. Um, you know, so yeah. it, it all, I believe all this, you know, comes back full circle at some point. But transitioning to an employee, it has been hard for me uh, because I always give 110 percent. and so. I think in my mind, I felt like I need to pull back in order to have some boundaries around the job. And, you know, I am just an employee. That's not something I should be managing. Um, it took me a while because I was still in owner ownership mode. And and he took it was a benefit to him because he didn't have to come to Columbus very often. Yeah. So it was mutually beneficial to us. Yeah. And you have that in you anyway, because nothing you do, you don't take ownership. You know, you, you take ownership for, you take ownership for the things that you do, for the input that you put out. So like you just said, you give 110% in anything that you do. So it was very beneficial for him, yeah, right? Yeah, it was, it was. You, as the person you are, felt like you was shorting the system, so to speak. Like you weren't pulling putting forth all your effort, which can make a person who does that feel some way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Know, it causes anxiety and resistance in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have that type of spirit and then you, sh- you don't do things half ass and then, you know, you're like, well, I got to create a boundary. It's, it's tough. It is. It is. Yeah. And I, I think I struggled with that probably more so toward the end of my tenure there than on the front end, because on the front end, I was just running it like I, you know, ran it when I owned it. But then when it was time for me to think about when I started entertaining, leaving, untangling all of the, bringing in another person to replace me and having to untangle, this really isn't something an administrator would do. This is more of an owner responsibility. And so that's been a little tough, so much so that the other day they offered me a stake of the business, uh, probably just to keep me around. So I'm entertaining that too, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, I remember I had a little job when I was 13, picking up trash in uh, the apartment complex we lived in. It was a hundred apartments, similar to like Poindexter Village, you know. And uh, they paid me a dollar an hour. I'd work 30 hours a week. I'd pick up every, I had that place looking so good. And they'd give me my little $30 and I'd go catch the bus to pay less and buy me some sneakers or, you know. I was <laughs> pride in what you do. In my mind's made up, this is only for a moment, a moment. This is only for a moment, a moment. This is only for. 
how, as a black woman, you know, taking mm-hmm. pride in what she does and having a balance of taking care of and having pride in yourself and your self care and your, you know, how do you balance that? Because one, you're a black woman in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Well, before 2018 and in the pandemic, you know, it was not a lot of black women, right? Mm-hmm. Even just in from, well, 2007 to 2018, they say entrepreneurship amongst black women has grown, grown 164%, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But it seems like when you're out there, though, oftentimes you're alone navigating, you know, whatever entrepreneurial track that you're in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What from your childhood, one, and then already being in business, have you seen that was similar that's helped you to navigate that? You know, I'm not uncomfortable being in a room full of white people because I grew up in Nebraska. The difference is when I walk into a room and I'm the only black person, I carry with me the energy and the comfort and the confidence of being the only black person in the room. Got it. And what I mean by that is I don't suddenly feel like I need to be like white people. I don't feel like I need to downplay being black. I don't feel like I need to almost carry myself as is I feel like if I feel like I'm less than. I feel like I come to the table. This is who I am. You know, I think when I was growing up, I I mean, a perfect example was I was in a nursing college at the University of Nebraska. They had five cohort groups. It's a two and a half year program. I was the only black student. Out of five cohort groups? Out of five, out of 250 students. And I remember once they'd asked me to make a collage for Black History Month. And so I made the collage for me. So when I would go into the uh, conference room, I could look at things that motivated me to keep me going. And a lot of it was real. You know, 10 masked white men drugged the school into the, into the lake, killing all the kids inside, all the black children inside. When I see things like that, you know, Yes, it's something very traumatic to read, but it's also like, hey, I'm here for a lot of different reasons. Mm, I'm representing the, yeah, yeah, the collective. And it, it disappeared off the wall. And I went to the dean and we tore through professors' closets and we found it. And this one professor said, well, a lot of the students were complaining about it, said it made them feel uncomfortable. And I said, it should make them feel uncomfortable. I said, but for me, this does something different. And they put it back up on the wall, you know. But it's just an example of early on, just knowing and understanding that whenever there are smart or capable Black people in the room, I think the white people have more of a problem with us than us walking into a room full of white people. You see what I'm saying? It's it's almost like a power grab. Okay. So, you know, I've learned to just kind of 
say and do what I needed to say and do and keep it moving. It's a hard industry. I think specifically in small business, now it makes me happy. You know, I have banks calling all the time. They want to sit down and talk. You know, they're trying to get your business. And, you know, I didn't want to hear you, hear you out. Nope. Nobody was talking to me in the beginning. And so I even met with this guy. He was like a venture capitalist. And he was like, well, you, you shouldn't have started this with your own money. And I said, I absolutely wouldn't have, would not have been able to start this without your own money. Right. Yeah. I can't walk in with projections. Yeah. And- that's, and that's the difference because yeah. there's many businesses and people that white people who can go in and say, here are projections. I mean, and similar to that, I was one who's like, Hey, I'm actually doing this and this is what I'm making. They're like, good for you. Cash is king, but we need additional. And I'm like, yeah. I'm making, you know, 10,000 a month. What, what do you mean? And they're like, no, but someone else, um, my my white male counterpart walked in with just projections, just mm-hmm. started a business and was only making two thousand, and they gave him a loan. Yeah, and that's how it's always been, and that is the part of the systemic racism that I think people don't quite understand. Like there's there's inequities here in in the the way that this is going, and it, it doesn't benefit. Black people or brown people, and if we can't even have a discussion about it, then we we in a ba- we in a bad way, you know. So I know that affected me. Mm-hmm. You know, it made me feel like whoa, undervalued, mm-hmm. less than. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I have to do to prove myself? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to go over here and get this creative loan at a higher interest rate? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But someone else can walk in with less money income coming in, less, you know, clientele and get a less interest rate. You know, as a business owner, I have just to be honest, I have had to just kind of swallow that and keep moving. I I do notice I do recognize it. I do see some people that, you know, we all kind of started around the same time and I'm always happy to see people grow. But in my mind, you know, I, I always think we could have had that kind of growth if we would have had that kind of financial support. Okay. In my mind's made up, this is only for a moment, a moment. Like what you're hearing? For a Moment by Renee Dion. You can find more of her music at ReneeDion.com. We are also okay where we are. And I, I, I agree. Because you know what I mean? I, I signed my life away because I was betting on me, right? That loan, yeah. praise God, has already been paid off and I'm free of it. But like you said, we, we suck it up and we move on. However, how many suck it up pills do we take before we start to affect us mentally? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, probably this was probably the reckoning for me. I think 2020 was the reckoning for me. Talk um, about that. Talk about that. 
you know, as a lot of people are aware, you know, last last winter, you know, someone called into the bakery. It was either January or February. I think it was January, in the middle of January, with a like a racially motivated bomb threat. You know, I was just kind of running on adrenaline for a while after that because I wasn't thinking about myself. I wasn't thinking about. I was thinking more about my business, my staff, my family. And I think, you know, it just kind of took a toll on me. And, you know, I've spent this last summer just really working on myself and, and almost like pushed a pause button or a reset button. And it, it has been amazing. You know, the more I talk and connect with people, I think the more I hear about people uh, struggling with anxiety. You spoke um, up. <clears throat> I, I spoke up. And, and in speaking up and making the connections, I think I've always had anxiety. I just d- didn't know what it was. And uh, instead of just popping Xanax to deal with it and keep moving, I decided to slow down and take care of what needed to be taken care of. And so, you know, I cut the alcohol, I cut the coffee, cut a lot of the sweets out. But I, I don't think, and the people are like, oh, you own a bakery, you, you probably get a lot of sweets. I don't eat a lot of sweets. I think the alcohol was because alcohol turns into sugar. I think on it. Yeah. that's where I was getting a lot of the, the sugar from. And uh, a lot of you know, everything is celebrated or, you know, meetings and, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Networking alcohol. It's all it all revolves around alcohol and alcohol equals calories. And, yeah. I, you know, and so all, at some point I needed to get serious about it and and do something different. And so, you know, I still. You know, I might have a sip here, here and there, but I think during 2020, I was sipping every day. Okay. You know, um, yeah, it was a lot of stress. And I think already being, how could I not be predisposed to having anxiety? I, I already told you that my mother was 15 when she had me. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. so, yeah. Right. So I think that I put a pandemic on top of that. Threats, you know, social threats to your business and your family. Uh, I started a really needed, much needed nonprofit that raised a lot of money in a short period of time. And, you know, you have to produce. Tell us a little bit. Don't go back. Don't just go over to nonprofit because okay. that's a whole nother thing that you jumped into. Right, right. So ser- the service project was called Service, a Relief Effort. And basically, you know, when all the restaurants shut down, people in the restaurant industry, servers, bartenders, they literally had no income and no food. And, you know, the dirty little secret in the restaurant industry is sometimes people get paid under the table. And then who would have known we'd have a once in a lifetime pandemic and they didn't have enough income on paper to even qualify for unemployment. And so... People didn't have food and they didn't have money. That is and definitely a, that was definitely a secret. Yeah, yeah. And so we started making meals. We set up a online pre-order system, a website, 
uh, a nonprofit. We found a fiscal agent, you know, in the meantime to get going pretty quickly. And uh, we started doing about a thousand meals a week. We ended up doing about 10,000 meals. And uh, the meals that people didn't pick up, uh, food, not bombs would pick up. Uh, we would take meals over to the YWCA Family Center. Um, we were just out there. And, the, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, you were like, you know, does it just jump on you when you're walking down the street? I mean, you just didn't know, you know. Yeah, exactly. People were scared to go out the door. You're like, look. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was like every at the end of the day, I would come home. I, I had this whole protocol I was doing. I mean, it was exhausting. But I also knew that. Same time trying to pivot your your bakery business. And how was that? Well, trying to pivot, bake me happy. And I was still at the home care agency. So trying to make sure they had PPE equipment and education and okay. protocols. And I think all that just kind of came crashing, crashing in on me. And I wasn't doing a real good self-care. I wasn't, you know, looking back now, what, what I'm doing now for myself. And uh, I do consider myself kind of coming out on the other side of it. You know, I feel really good. I've been doing you know, yoga once a week and breath work. And, you know, I had a lot of uh, layers I needed to peel off and deal with. And uh, is I'm feeling pretty good. I, I cut back on my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, I was just going way too hard, you know, saying <laughs> yes a lot of times when I should have been saying no. In the night, this is only So how do women, black women of color, being entrepreneurs, start to say no? Because we have to be there for so many things. Children, family, the actual job we're in. The support supporting the staff, like you said, there's it's important also to have relationships with you and, and be able to connect with them. How do we do that if we sort of disconnect from ourselves to do that? <laughs> well, you know, you've got to do a self assessment, and I think you, you know, just for the sake of the time we have, make yourself some buckets, you know. I got a family bucket. I got a work bucket or a business bucket. I have my self bucket and I have my community work bucket. And I can't do all the things. But when when opportunities are presented to me, I look at those buckets and I say, where does this fall? How is it mutually beneficial to both of us? And 
do I have the capacity to do it? And if you, and if you kind of stick to that, including yourself, your, yourself, you've got to, you can't keep water and plants out of an empty bucket. True. So, you know, I think once people take a moment to get a taste of, it feels good for me to take some time for myself. Now, I'm not talking about going and getting your hair and your nails done because I, I do, I like to go get a haircut. I like, you know, that's the one time, that's one of the times that, and when I'm asleep, when I'm like, you know, I ain't really got to be anywhere, but right here, it's more, there's, there's yeah. your days, you can have time during the day where you tap into that. Absolutely. So your spirit, then, your souls, you know, yeah, like deep, yeah. deep stuff. Deep stuff. And that's that part of being present daily. And so I had to learn to not always be future thinking. That that contributes to, you know, anxiety as well. Absolutely. And uh yeah. yeah. It's it's crazy because when you're in business, you know, that's the one thing you just talked about, projecting, right? <laughs> yeah. Having the projections like yeah. so you you know when you're in it you're always projecting and and that yeah. that causes us to get nervous about if what happens if we yeah, yeah. go right right it gives us anxiety but and um, I and I'll even go back like being a kid thinking when I grow up I'm going to do I'm going to get out of this neighborhood I'm going to you know what I mean so yeah. all, I was always when I get out of school I'm going to mm-hmm. do this I was always very future focused. Yeah. And the reality is, is some of that is okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I say it's not a bad thing because, you yeah, know, yeah. That, that's definitely a strength to be yeah. able to foresee and envision your future. It's just that we can't live there. Yeah. Yeah. We and I was living there. I got it. That makes total sense. So, um, I know we're talking about future, so we might as well just say, what do you, what do you see the future of your business and your organization? You know, taking this time, I've probably been able to have a clear vision of, you know, both Wendy and I talking together about what we feel like we're capable of and able to do. And I think one of the things that we've talked about specifically for Bake Me Happy is, you know, we were able to sit down with a business strategist and just kind of come up with this, not only just a formula financially, but also from a process standpoint, uh, a path to growth that um, I can do a lot with 250 square feet. And so almost going down this path of these multiple small retail outlets that we deliver to daily, I think, you know, that's, that's the key, especially now, you know, um, when people started shedding a mask and, you know, people immediately started coming in saying, when are you going to bring the seating back? When are you going to bring the dining back? And now here we are. We slowly heading back to a bad situation. And uh, in my mind, I was thinking, I'm never bringing the seating back. You know, I'm going to try to figure out ways that increase revenue with the square footage that I have. Got it. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, either right now, either people are going to figure it out and move forward or not. 
in most yeah. places in the big cities, like you said, 200, 300 square feet. You just walking past a window, getting what you need. Yeah. And get it going. Yeah. Yeah. And so God is good because on the other side of it, Preston's Burger. Okay. <laughs> we almost signed a contract for like a 7,000 square foot space, you know, right before the pandemic and all the seating it could hold and. You know, we've ended up in a 300 square foot space, you know, 450 square feet. It, it's serving its purpose. Yeah, um, not plenty of lines at Preston's. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that um, COVID has really, I, I try to glean some good or positive or out of all situations, uh, whether it's a life lesson or a business lesson, um, you know, and, and I would say, you know, COVID probably did just redirect us in, in a different business model that I think, you know, moving forward could really, could really work. Now, that's not to say we would never have a sit down space. I do envision that, um, but it's going to be a minute. It, but it also opens you up to a whole new lane. Yeah, that's business. a whole nother line. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. A whole nother lane for your business. And that's what geniuses like yourself do. Things yeah. you take the silver lining out of things, right? Take the silver yeah. lining out the cloud, right? Okay. In my mind's made up. This is only for a moment. A moment. This is only for So, lastly, you know, what do you see most importantly as your legacy and what do you want to be remembered for? I want people to somehow glean from the work that I've done, not just in business, but also on the community side that you can coexist in a way that everybody wins. I'm just, I'm just a real big proponent of a win-win situation, a win-win situation, you know, and even if the winning for me is, Hey, I connected you with this person and then you and the person get together and you hit it off and it's beneficial to you. You know, I, I really have over the last couple of years, increase my involvement in the community just because I just felt there was a place and a space. I think that there's a lot of great ideas in our community. And if people just have some support, you know, I think that's the one thing that just has resonated with me over the last couple of months. It's just been like this mantra, like if we can support people, what could they do? You know, whether it's through resources or or connections or networking, where could we be? Absolutely. You know? And so I have been on this soapbox of like, I do believe private industry can support the economic development of the black community. And and they should, you know, rightfully, you know, Goldman Sachs. Uh I, I think a lot of these the banking industry. I think that 
I think Amazon could do better. I I just think that, you know, that that's going to be the way I can't, we can't look to the government. We couldn't even look to the government to support us over the last year, the way we needed it, you know? And the one thing the restaurant industry should, should realize is that not even the grocery stores could support all of us at the same time. You know, you need restaurants. You have to, people have to eat. And so when everyone did try to go to the grocery store at the same time, the grocery stores collapsed. We're not supported. Right. So, you know, it's it's just it's just very interesting what, what, what all has come out of this. But, you know, I think the one thing for me is that continuing to support startup small businesses and connecting people and having resources directed in a way that, uh, you know, creates, you know, economic development in communities, specifically the black and brown communities, that's going to be our way out. Well, we thank you for being so involved in the community. We haven't even mentioned your work in BIPOC and Blackout and Proud and things like that. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, well, one in specific that is always saying, you know, I'm the black lesbian, I'm this, I'm that, but I don't see that person in the community like yourself doing and making changes and being a support of of it at all you know and this person has been a serial entrepreneur but we thank you Letha Pew for being an entrepreneur and also you know supporting the youth um and supporting Blackout and Proud and having that business I mean that organization as a way and an outlet for all of us to build and network you know and see each other Yes, and see yes. each other in a different space other than at a club, you know, or and, at a you know, And I, I do that for me, too. You yeah. Know, representation does matter. It does. Absolutely. You know, just as much as I'm out in the community doing things, I may see like this butch black lesbian going into Target and be like, you know, I want to run up and be like, hey, hi. Hey, hi. like a puppy. Like, hi, yeah. hi, hi. you know, it does matter. It matters, it does. you know, and. You know, I remember you telling me a story in one of our, tra- you know, when you came to see for training, just about the little young girl at the school. Yeah. You know, tell us about that. You know, share that a little bit. Um, so, you know, a lot during the pandemic, I was doing a lot of virtual. Okay. A lot in the schools, actually. Um, just talking to classrooms, 30 minutes, 15, 30 minutes here and there. And uh, over in the chat section, you know, a lot of times the kids would have their cameras off and, and there was this one particular uh, class and I could tell she was a little lesbian, you know, she had, you know, I could just tell. And uh, as I, the more I talked about myself, she started asking questions and the questions from the kids always end up, I go in talking about business and they always end up asking me, were you afraid to come out or were you Were you scared people were not going to support your business? And uh, she put in the chat, you know, people have always told me I wasn't going to amount to anything just because I was gay. She was like, I I never even thought about a black, like a black business owner and a lesbian or being out. It, It was, you know, something along those lines. And I was so taken aback. Like, I could have saved somebody's life. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I wish I would have like took a picture of it. It was just so, 
poignant. It was, it was everything that I've tried to work. I've done this for is, is so that people that needed to see themselves could see themselves in me. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That is awesome. Hey, we, we can leave it on that note right there. Right. I'm good there. with that. I'm good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for taking the time out of your day um, and just sharing your good words, man. I know, I know they feed my soul and oh, I definitely wanted to uh, have our audience share, share your, hear your wisdom, hear your nuggets and the gems, you know, it's all about mind, body and becoming that gem you know, yeah. serving your purpose and you meet every aspect of that. You know what? That could be a cool name for a gym, the gym, G-E-M. G-E-M, yes, the gym, yeah. you know? And it's like you said, it's not the G-Y-M, it's the G-E-M. And yeah. I think when we recognize that we are gems, we're yeah. already in purpose, we're shining and shedding our light, you know? And this is what this is about. Like everybody has adversities, but it's about how you overcome them and how you take care of yourself during that process so again we really appreciate you know you getting on and sharing your gems with us well i i appreciate you having me and i'm, I'm always still like surprised like oh people want to hear hear from me but you know i'm, I'm trying to get more comfortable with that <laughs> absolutely you all right a lot to give this world man and we appreciate you well have a great rest of your day you too and uh, we'll see you soon thank you letha for being on our podcast Show her support by supporting the coffee shop and the bakery, Bake Me Happy, located at 106 East Molar Street in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about Blackout and Proud at blackoutandproud.com. Two-thirds of the prison population in the state of Ohio and in 35 states in the United States end up back in the prison population within three years, a phenomenon known as recidivism. Fit to Navigate combats recidivism through wellness programming that has resulted in 0% recidivism. Learn more at fittonavigate.com.